Hello and welcome to the review for Tuesday the 16th of May 2023. I am not your regular host as you will probably have recognised. He is away somewhere doing something. Graham Mackay is not here. I am Claire Wilde and I will be your host for this episode. Um, however, to keep a steady hand on the tiller because he knows what he's doing, it's Christian Wolf. Hi Christian. Hello Claire. I could tell it wasn't Graham straight away because I could hear you. <laughs> nothing to do that we've fact that we've no. talked for 15 minutes before we started recording <laughs> <laughs> no and, and that too i'm great clear how are you um i'm very well i'm quite tired it's been a it's only monday but it feels like there's been a lot of week already but that's fine i'm hoping that that it, everything gets easier towards the end of the week um but yeah no it's good it looks it's very sunny this we had to get you to put your blind down because it was too bright in Ayrshire. Scottish Riviera. Yeah. So that's, that's what happens down here. <laughs> and that person giggling away in the background at the idea of that is Annabelle McDonald, who has joined us for a second time on the review. Hi, Annabelle. Hi. Thank you for having me while Graham's away on what sounds like a secret spy mission, the way you put it. I know. It, I did make it sound like that. It's, it's just because I'm not sure where he is. <laughs> did I just out him as a spy? I'm so sorry, Graham. <laughs> I, um, I, I, it, I think he was just hosting the agenda. He's like, like that. I don't want to do two pods in one day. Like, because I, I think it, I don't think it's quite after. Can the pe- like, can the people have too much Graham Mackay? Who knows? That's the question. I, I, I guess I did the reaction as well, but you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's that German work ethic not rubbing off on him at all. Or... Uh, not yet. Not Shame. yet. He doesn't even speak the language. This is the problem, Animal. You know, these British people that go to different countries do they learn the language? No. These expats, it's yeah. disgusting. I so, bet you voted for Brexit too. I'm going to steer the conversation Definitely very does. quickly away from this. <laughs> Annabelle, how's your week been? <laughs> it's been great, thanks. I've been settling back into life in this absolutely dour country following a visit to Venice. Yes, you've been on holiday. You watched football nice. in Venice as well, didn't you? Tell us a little I bit did. about that. You went to a CSC. Yes, thank you to the Irish pub Venice, um, very aptly named. It was a very Irish pub. Um, (laughs) Yep, watched us win the league in what didn't feel like Venice at all, surrounded by um, some older Celtic fans with a very limited songbook, but Celtic fans nonetheless, and it was a great time. It looked very fun, um, and I was very jealous of all your pictures, but it's lovely to have you back. And in your background for today is the traditional Irish bar as well, so... You've naturally cha- you've changed Paddy's it. Irish pub you've changed it from Lara Croft's bedroom yeah she booted me out oh, sick of me it's not fair um we are gonna um kick off today it's been an exciting and interesting week for obviously coming to the end of the season there's always an awful lot going on um and it can get very exciting we won the league um but in terms of people who maybe listen to the Cynic regularly will know that I cover women's football and it was a very exciting week for women's football having the game against Glasgow City at Celtic Park, um, which we were at and uh, I've already, I, we will talk about it on the Celtic Women's Football Show tomorrow, but the atmosphere was absolutely incredible. Christian, did you get to have a look at it and what were your thoughts on that whole event? No, I I only had the chance to like see the clips and everything afterwards because yeah, I had this whole thing planned out, Claire. Instead of just doing that Glasgow Derby, we're going to do this Glasgow Derby and I do know. like a wee, you know, analysis, tell Fran all the ways he's wrong, even though he wins games, uh, like we do with <laughs> Hanch um, and have that. But 
our, our plans were thwarted by the the evil empire that is Insta. They're not like that bad. They're just no. well, it was just it's. I find have found it quite frustrating because yeah, you were planning to watch it all back and do us a little analysis report and everything, but um, it was on the game was on Thursday. We're on Monday and we're still not seeing any, and it just feels a little bit like. If you want to talk about a game, you want to do it while it's still fresh and in everyone's minds and you want the numbers fresh and in everyone's minds. So a week later getting the stats is not massively ideal. So that's my little moan. that women's... You, you don't want numbers uh, past expiry dates. No, exactly. It's, it's like cheese. Um, Annabelle, what did you make of the whole thing? I thought it was an amazing showcase for women's football to have it, you know, played at Celtic Park, broadcast on Sky the fans that showed up in, in this, the whole Celtic end, it was just honestly such a great spectacle. And on top of that, an amazing game of football as well. Talk about a, a comeback story. Um, just I know. <laughs> it's such an exciting game to watch. I loved every second of it. And it, I thought it was just in general a really good advert for it because, you know, I myself keep saying I need to be more involved with the women's game and watch more games. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that in the future that's going to become easier for everyone to do, even the more sort of mm. casual fans in terms of access. But for me, like that was a great, you know, a great advert just to say, look, this is worth your time. This is worth watching. This is this is fast, exciting football. Same as same as you'll get anywhere else in the in, in Scotland. Yeah, it was a really exciting game. I mean, talk about a game of two halves. And yeah, like, I think you're right that hopefully a lot more is being televised. It was on Sky on Thursday. Um, there are, have been other matches on Sky as well. And you, you know, like you're not based in Glasgow, but you're based in Scotland. So you're kind of one of those people who's stuck between like not being able to go to the games and not being able to watch the games on Celtic TV and with women's football. I think that is felt particularly hard sometimes. So yeah, it's interesting. We will get some of those numbers and hopefully Christian will have some of them by the time Lorenzo and I record tomorrow <laughs> and we can have yeah. some sort of chat about um what what the stats for that game looked like because it was it was really interesting and then obviously the um the league is really hotting up and anyone who's following that I was doing a little spreadsheet today and I'm not going to go through all the permutations because there are far it's just, too it's many. A new graph clear. It seemed <laughs> there like may be, a, lot of hours there may be a new graphic coming out this week, but it's still going to have a lot of numbers on it. Because <laughs> um, there, there are there, literally this league with the top three teams could go anyway. Um, but one thing while I've got you, Christian, and while we were on a podcast to, to, together that is about stats, tactics, and analysis, um, we've had an interesting season and since January so we lost uh, our most prolific striker Clarissa Larisi, Um at Christmas she went to play for a Swedish team and uh, we brought a player called Natasha Flint in on loan from Leicester who play in the WSL till the end of the season um, she came in kind of as the, as the kind of replacement striker I guess that's that was what her role was and as a, a fan who watches the women's team week in and week out um, we, we Clarissa Larrisy just seemed to always be in the right place at the right time. She made the runs. She was scoring the goals. Tash Flint has got a pretty good goal return since she's been here. But you know those players where you're watching them and you don't enjoy necessarily watching them play and it's frustrating to see them within that team and yet you kind of can't say anything bad because they do keep, keep scoring goals. What's that about? <laughs> That's Joshua Stiermakis. <laughs> that's, yeah that's, that's chris, how i chris, felt for chris for, has for said months. that yeah <laughs> but i feel am i wrong in thinking that um 
you've had a little look at Tasha's numbers. We're not going to spend too long on this, but I just wanted to get your opinion on it while um, while I've got you and we're kind of doing this type of chat. And while the women's season is so exciting and we might, you know, we'd probably see some more flashes of brilliance from her at the weekend. But um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good summary. Um, so... I've done a little kind of stacks comparison between Tash Flint's time here and, and mm-hmm. Larissa's time this season. And obviously it doesn't include the last two games because as yeah. you said before, the instant issues and having had a look, obviously you know, I haven't watched all the games, but I've had a good look at all of Tasha's Flint's um, at least shots and some of her kind of, Mm-hmm. playmaking abilities and so on. And and, and and you can maybe share this with the listeners as well, but when you take a look at their stats, they are very different in terms of, you, you talked about Clarissa Larissa being somebody who, who pops up in the right space at the right time. Mm-hmm. And she's, and she's a lot, she was a lot less involved on the ball. Yeah. And Tash Flint, I think with Tash Flint, somebody who kind of moves around a lot more. She's got more passes. She she's even got more dribbles. Um, For a striker, she's in she's inhabiting parts of the midfield and even like yeah. moving into the defensive positions a lot. <laughs> she is, and but I think what you said about popping up in the right spaces because now, like okay, so this is like per ninety minutes, uh, excluding the last two games, but. Tasha Flynn's goal return, as you, as you said, very good. You know, you've got 0.78 goals per 90. You know, Clarissa Larissa had 1.08, which is obviously, uh, but both are really good. Her XG is a little bit lower, so that's 0.55, whereas Clarissa Larissa's was 1.08 as well. She was very good, but still good numbers. I think the one thing you, and you can see this, purely from looking at her two shot maps uh, as well. Kalissa, like, shot map. I think she had 47 shots. And there's three of them who's kind of on the 18-yard yard lines. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're over, maybe they're just on the line. The rest of them are bang in the middle of the penalty box. When I mean in the middle, I mean in mm. the middle of the penalty box. There's, there's a handful on the right-hand side, but the rest of them are bang in the middle of this. It's such like a striker's, a poacher's um, shot map. But for me, it's also a really good shot map for a striker because, as you know, I don't really like shots from outside because there's, <laughs> there's less probability of them being <laughs> scored. And whereas Tash has got a really good, she's got a good goal record. But, oh, my God, her decision-making on when to shoot, I think that's that's her main issue at the moment. She takes so many shots from quite wild positions, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's strange because some of her finishers are really, really good. Mm-hmm. Like, some of the best, you know, I mean, watch you know, a little bit of, you know, um, the women's game in Scotland and internationals. Like some of her finishes are really top notch, like really good technique, you know, really nice clean strike of the ball, and so on. But some of her other decision making, actually, when she takes the shot, are just, mm. I mean, they're, they're not good. So I think, I, I guess the, the positive thing is that that's the sort of thing 
you can coach. Now, I think she's what, 25, 26, so mm-hmm. it's not like she's very young in, in, in footballing terms. But if you can coach her into making better decisions, and pretty much just ban her from shooting outside the box. I mean, <laughs> do you have somebody with, with potential there? But yeah, it's it's that was the one frustrating thing, both in terms of me going, oh, don't shoot there. But also that she, she does have, she's got the really nice knack of running off the last defender's um, mm. shoulder as well. I, mean, I think is uh, I think it was against Rangers and, you know, the Glasgow City game in the cup as well. You know, making that really nice time run, you get the ball like right past, past the like last defender, one touch finish straight in as well. So she can do it. It's just it's down to the decision making from that's really interesting to hear um we'll put we'll put a little bit more of that in the celtic women's football show which we will be recording tomorrow and will be coming out on wednesday um we'll probably because there's such a lot of interest and so many people kind of new to this this week we'll probably put that out for free so everyone should be able to have a listen and you can share it um but yeah, it's really interesting to hear that. And I, th- there's a bit of me that obviously just wants to geek out. And I know that that's not what we're here to do and ask you about like that's how exactly players. exactly what we're here to do. Well, maybe not with the women's game because we've got a lot oh, to yes. talk about with the Rangers <laughs> game. <laughs> um, it's interesting how, um, there's a whole thing going on in the women's team, which has happened in the men's game as well. Um, around, you know, player over system and vice versa. And, you know, whether there's a consistency in that. And whether, you know, I don't know. I mean, Annabelle, that's always an interesting thing, isn't it? To see whether a manager or coach is going, right, system, system is everything. And then they get a player that doesn't quite fit in and watching them try and kind of dance around that and fit this player into the system. Yeah, definitely. And I think that kind of is is demonstrated there with the kind of poor decision making and you saw a really good example of that in the game towards the end I think it was the last 5-10 minutes when we were already 3-1 up um, and Tash was kind of pulling the ball around the outside of the box, dragging it around defenders, you could see she was trying to line up the shot, give herself enough space to to take a swing at it from, you know, like I said, pretty sure it was the edge of the box and she eventually does get the shot off. And to be fair, it is a good effort. As Christian said, her technique is good. And she got a good shot off. I think it was saved. Um, and, you know, the scoreline remained the same. But at the same time, when that's happening, that happens in the men's game as well. To me, that's a break from style of play. Is that mm. It can be a player being selfish. And oftentimes, you know, they've got the technique to pull it off. Mm. But you can't help but look around them and see there's a player there you could pass to. You could feed that the ball through to the box to that player. You could be laying it off for them. Um, she had a player right in front of her who she almost like she was running towards her and instead of laying the ball off because she was in a lot more space. Forgive me, I'm not sure who it was. Um, she just kept dragging that ball around to, and trying to make space for herself. Um, and to, to me, that sort of stuff it is really, really frustrating. And it was interesting to see it there because I think um, Fran, like I don't watch obviously a lot of the women's game, but. Um, I do think Fran's kind of adopting an attacking style of play and he does have a a way that he wants the team to play. And he was talking after the game, you know, when he was being interviewed about certain players needing a bit more management, needing a bit more coaching, um, because they exactly like you said, they've got technique and talent, but they maybe need someone to kind of keep them in line a little bit. So I thought that was really interesting that he literally acknowledged that as sort of being a challenge and something for him to address. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he, you know, we we don't know what's going to even happen next season, especially in the women's game. It's also volatile with who stays and who goes, even with managers. We've just had the Hibs, women's Hibs manager um, 
announced that he's departing today but like just that thing of um you know we talk about Angie's system all the time and does this play a fit with Angie's system so if Fran sticks around it'd be really interesting because Tash is on loan so I would imagine she won't be with us next season but how we kind of replace that strike force I guess um that's always a big question so that's all going on it's all very exciting but there was another game of football at the weekend Christian and I think you might be the only person I know who's really excited to talk about it (laughs) well I don't know excited but um I have had to watch it again um (laughs) obviously and I was a bit scared watching it again, but I think coming out of it, there is actually a few interesting things mm-hmm. we can take from it. And I think again, you know, Graham Holsters, he's he's always um, accusing me of, you know, telling everybody that these things they liked weren't as good as they actually think they are. But as I said to him, sometimes I come on and say, look, those things you think were bad. Actually, they're, they're not that bad. So it's just <laughs> keeping everybody on an even keel, really. And I think we're just going to try to do that today. As well. Okay, that's interesting. Um, Annabelle, you obviously watched the game. What were your, uh, ov- I mean, you're kind of like closing your eyes. What were your overall thoughts? I, I watched the game just for context in, a well, we went to a communion. And so it was on a screen in the bar and... So I kind of watched it with no sound on a wobbly projector screen with like lots of kids running around, like, which in a way, I don't know. Sounds like my house. Considering the way that it played out, I was, it was a very difficult environment to like focus on what was happening. And then when I realized what was, was what was happening, I was like, oh, maybe this is the best way to watch it. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like that could have only added to the Celtic viewer experience for (laughs) that game on Saturday. But um, yeah. I, I watched it, unfortunately, um, at home on a very clear feed on a big television. <laughs> it was very frequently muted. On your own? <laughs> I was not alone. I was with someone who, let's just say, um, tempers were... were tempers were high. Well, <laughs> they were high. They were not well maintained at, at normal levels. It was, That's um, Lara for you, though. <laughs> I know, honestly. I've told her to go to therapy, but... It was, um, yeah, I didn't really enjoy the game. I think that's a fair assessment. I didn't enjoy it. But um, um, in preparation for having to talk about this, you know, looking through some of the notes that Christian's put together and kind of reflecting, forcing myself through gritted teeth to watch the highlights on less than 100% speed. I, I do think we have a reactionary support. I try not to be reactionary, which is funny when I do the reaction because that's kind of the point. But um, I try I try not to be is the point I'm gonna I'm gonna say. But I also feel I need to preface everything I'm gonna say on this podcast with like obviously you don't like to lose to them ever. No, no. it's never acceptable to roll over and lose to them. But I don't think it's it's not like it was doomsday I don't think we need to be all I, it's just the same thing from the support when this happens like this person's 100% not good enough black and white I don't think any of that was black and white personally. yeah um it happened obviously it happens both ways because their heralding is that this is the great <laughs> the great return and the great turnaround and uh um you've put you've done a little quote for us from the daily record Christian which I'm of course the gonna... paper record um about and i'm sure lots of people have seen this even accounting for all the do you know who the author of this piece is 
It's just some guy, Claire. Some daily some record guy. guy. Yeah, don't, don't worry about that. Even accounting for all the caveats and qualifications required when discussing a meaningless contest at the dog end of the season 2022-23. However, there is context to be found in the content of Michael Beale's first managerial victory in this fixture. Without saying the Ibrox gaffer deserves to be put alongside the boffins of Bletchley Park. <laughs> It's quite, quite a statement. It is possible that he's close to cracking the Celtic code. Mm-hmm. Judging by the way his team anticipated almost every opposition move in this game, you do wonder if Beale has a spare Enigma machine safely tucked away in a back office yes. at Ockenhowie. Christian. This is why you shouldn't let tactics nerds write anything. Does over he? On podcast, Claire. Does it's just, has he cracked it? Honestly. It, has he cracked it? Is that is that what's happened? He's, 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 he's literally... Um, it's got the enigma code. Uh, so yeah, as, as Annabelle said, all, all fans are reactionary, and they're absolutely hundred percent allowed to be, especially on the day we when you lose to Rangers. You know, so so that's yeah. as I said before. I'm so glad I'm not doing the the reaction at all because you wouldn't get a single sensible thing out of me <laughs> there either. Some people say. I think you say but, that on every one of these reviews. <laughs> I do. Uh, I just, but but uh, it, it is. I think I think that is the point though, because point of this is like next couple of days, have a look at try to look at every clear eyes and go, okay, was it that bad? And then often what you want to maybe try to do is kind of like, okay, that this narrative's popping up everywhere. This is one of them mm-hmm. from, from that side. And the other side is like the Celtic squad is actually it's horrible. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. And everybody's not in the first team are, are a complete shite. So uh, it, I kind of wanted to slightly do the analysis in the context of those two. And let's start with the Michael Beale one, because it's some of the most hilarious things um, I read. Is, I mean, Keith Jackson not having the most absurd take on a Monday in the record is, is also something else. But uh, I think it comes back to, first of all, we, we can talk about what Rangers tried to do and what Beale tried to do, obviously. But I think you start from a point where actually all the last five derbies, so the ones after Beale came in mm-hmm. and, you know, I've, I've sent you some, just some XG yeah. uh, from the one provider, Ice, Wise Guy, Wise Scout. Um, and pretty much in, in four out of those last five derbies, they have ranges as slightly ahead on XG. Uh, the two to it in January, they had a bit mm-hmm. further ahead. Now, other stats companies are available, and a couple of them have Celtic in, in front of some of the games. Wise guy don't have Celtic in front of, but that's like XG for you. But that, I mean, I the, the takeaway for me from that is that it's very close. They're all tight, right? Yeah. They, they have all been tight. The difference has that Celtic have had the moments and they've been able to, you know, be strong, you know, score the goals, really. <laughs> and, and being able to hold off ranges to a certain degree. And I, in a way, I don't think this game was much different in terms of the nature of the game and the, and, and the kind of what both teams tried to do. Again, Celtic had the ball more in this game than in any other derby. They Rangers got into Celtic's half and final third, the least they've done on the Beal, although they got into the penalty box quite a lot. And... For Whitecat, for example, this is the second lowest XG Celtic have conceded in the derby and the third highest XG they, they created. So again, it's a lot about, you know, image one is just a few different kind of 
game stats from, from wide scale. Yeah. To the, and again, you can kind of see the the ebb and flow of the game. But again, it's, it shows that everything we kind of know, you know, Rangers goes more long, Celtic have the ball more, Celtic is higher up the pitch, you know, the, the taxes, all that. And image two, again, is, is from stat bomb, but it just kind of shows the ebb and flow of the game in terms of the chances, yeah. right? So it has Celtic, you know, okay, Rangers has the early chance, but then after that, after O's chance, Celtic has the highest XG in the game until, you know, what is Rangers' third goal, which is a complete calamity, you know, yeah. in personal mistakes for, for, for Celtic. So I think we'll, we'll deep dive into it, but I think, I guess what I'm trying to say in a really long-winded way is that, this game didn't really show me anything new from Rangers. And it didn't really sound any more alarm bells around Celtic than all the other games so far. Mm-hmm. I think there's been elements of what happened in this game and the other games, both good and bad. And yeah. sometimes they, they manifest themselves occasionally in, in bad results and sometimes good results. I think overall Celtic's been good for the wins in the derby because they have because of their style, we have, you know, the, the way Celtic played it, the quality they have in certain parts of the team. But well, 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 it sucks losing and it's, it's, it's annoying. And it's some of the personal mistakes that are infuriating overall watching it back. It's like, there's nothing really anything new here in terms of good or bad. It's just sometimes shit happens <laughs> it's interesting you should say that obviously tempers were a little bit frayed where you were watching it and i'm sure that was um annabelle true, true for both mm. you and whoever you were watching with we sh- who shall remain unnamed <laughs> um but um listening to christian say that and looking at these little graphs and um graphics that we've got that depict how the game went is there any part of you that is able to recognize that in the game, despite the fact that the result ended as it did? Yeah, I think so. To be honest, I do think a lot of the kind of anger just comes from the fact that it's them and we don't like to lose to them. I think a lot of that is then projected onto our players because it's their job to beat them. But at the end of the day, we just really, really hate them because we've got the, one of the best football rivalries in the world. So that's just you're going to be angry. Um, I just find the whole narrative around there being some sort of code to crack in itself very funny. And I just want to point out that that paragraph, <laughs> I think I took psychic damage reading that. That is the biggest load of gibberish. Could be the whole article. I would honestly. rather die. I would actually <laughs> rather die because... Well, I'm sorry, but there is context to be found in the content. That's just... He wrote that and thought, yep publish anyway he was happy um, because he'd thought of two words that began with the letter co in the same sentence and and i'm pretty sure he's got them the wrong way around but C-O-F. i did try flipping them and i still don't think it made sense so i just don't know how that made it to print <laughs> but it, this is journalism in 2023 uh so not surprising um but yeah the, the whole night around there being a code i mean my kind of interpretation of that is we've played the same for the last two seasons now I I think it's fairly obvious by this point how we play what Angie's style is you know we've got the inverted fullbacks we've got a high press we're very attacking it's not that difficult I don't think there's anything that he even needs to figure out it's more just that I think I think there's a few ways to beat Celtic and Christian this is probably all completely wrong so sorry but this is just 
maybe I'm coping. I don't know. But I kind of feel like to beat Celtic, you either need to just be better, which we've seen in European football, or you need to be 100% perfect at stopping us from playing, which we don't see in the SPFL. We see teams week after week try to stop us from playing and fail because we inevitably break it down. Or you just have to be lucky when we slip up and take advantage of it. To me, Saturday was the latter. We slipped up. We were not our best in terms of passing accuracy, creativeness, um, defending. Um, and they took advantage um, of poor goalkeeping, poor decision making, calamities. Um, and they got lucky with a win. And yeah, I kind of do feel the same way from what Christian's saying. And that I don't think anything new was revealed about them or us in that game. We know that... Ralston isn't that good. We know that Burnaby is not the finished article. We barely know anything about Kobayashi yet. So I just, I, I don't understand why it's gone from our squad's really strong to all of a sudden we need to strengthen 12 different key areas on an 11 man team. You know, it's just, and it is that kind of, I think that's just coming from a place of anger because even though it was a meaningless game, it's them. We don't yeah. want to lose them. It is them. And I think it, I think it's understandable because I know that I'm definitely guilty of doing it when I'll suddenly be like, oh my God, this is a disaster Um, just after one result, whether it's the men's team or the women's team, you know, and you kind of have a freak out and then you have to kind of take a step, take a breath and go, no, let's talk to Christian. Um, <laughs> um, but we've got, we've had a few questions in. Obviously we asked people to get in touch with us about what they thought about the game. And we're going to kind of inter incorporate those into the chat that we're having about tactics. We, we need to talk about what Michael Beale did do tactically at the weekend. Um, we had a question from Liam. Um, I'll just read it out. And then Christian, you can kind of elaborate from there is there anything we can take tactically from the derby any particular worries from a tactical perspective or was it just a meaningless one-off one of the things I thought was that it looked like they set up more with a flat midfield three similar to us in a way rather than their usual two sitters behind a number 10 and they did run over us a bit at times anything we need to look at there and that was Liam thanks for the question yeah I think this is all in the context of, you know, really mask. Is, is there any particular worries from a tactical perspective? It comes back to the same things for me, that even though Celtic have been successful in, you know, the last four derbies before this, you know, three wins and a draw, there's elements of what happens in those games that, that worried me about, and we've talked about them a lot here. But there's also elements of, for all those games that show why I think Celtic are more always more likely to win these games because in very short they take control of the games, they take control of the ball, they have very specific patterns offensively that even though Rangers line up in a effective way, it's very much retroactive like they're reacting to Celtic where Celtic is just playing their games. Mm. But within that, the games so far this season have been closer than even the result group says. So, as I said, this time, because of circumstances we're going into, it falls down the range of side. But that the way the two teams play and, and the gap in quality between them, this always could have happened. You know, so in essence, there's nothing really in this game I haven't seen before right but it, specifically tactically so we talked about Beal have a very specific style but within that 
he's he's done a lot of tweaks, especially mm-hmm. in his range is kind of out of possession. And I don't know if you noticed, but out of possession is where range just you know that's how they play most of these games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what happens? And um, so obviously, you know, in Rangers, if you go all the way back to the Derby and Ibrox, they had they played kind of a four three one two in the press, so they have the two strikers and then somebody on McGregor. Then the League Cup final, they changed it to three strikers, three midfielders. And then again at Celtic Park, they went to two strikers part of flat midfield four, which they also did in the Cup semi-final. But then after half time in the cup semi-final, they changed to two strikers and then one sitting, uh, a player sitting right on McGregor and then three at the back again. I thought they were going to do that again and they did. Finally, this time I got it right. It's like, it's like Liam says, essentially, image three, for example, is it's just a representation of what they tried to do. They have the front two. The strikers are responsible for pressuring both the centre-backs and a little bit on the fullbacks. Whereas Todd Cantwell, everybody's favourite Todd now, obviously, uh, sits on Cal McGregor the whole time. So, so yeah, and, and behind that again, you then had that more, as Liam said, more a, a flat midfield tree with, with Jack Raskin and Lundstrom, mm-hmm. essentially. And essentially, this is how Beal sets up. This is he he likes to do a couple of things. Specifically, I think he, he is somebody who who will look at us and, and try and tweak things. But it's all about kind of protecting the center for it. But what okay. kind of I think it's a good example of what he likes to do here is because I said like the two strikers, they almost have a dual job here. They both, they, they pressure the strikers, okay, but they also pressure sometimes the fullbacks, right? Mm-hmm. And by putting Cantwell specifically on McGregor, you essentially, what he tries to do, you can see this is image four. So the fullbacks is pressing up on Celtic swingers. It kind of allows Rangers to have two kind of overloads or spare mm-hmm. man. One, they have three central midfielders on Celtic's two central midfielders, and they have the two centre backs on Celtic strikers. So, so mm-hmm. image four is kind of a representation of, of this. Whereas if you have some of the strikers jumping out on the fullbacks, essentially you have a spare midfielder to, to cover that. Um, but that's not just following a midfielder. If you go like the image five, for example, you can see it's more almost more about where they are, what strikers in what position. So image five is Burnaby coming inwards. Raskin and Lundstrom is right on top of him. And because you've got two of them, you have you pushing kind of Goldson up to look after Hatate, who's behind them again. So you're using those two spare men you have to kind of okay, div- divide and conquer in a way to, to do that. But and then also image six is just that three man in midfield, the three against two, is that if the strikers aren't able to pressure the fullback, then uh, someone like Strunstrom can, can jump out from the midfield. Mm. Three. But c- kind of coming to a conclusion, what he's trying to do is that the ultimate goal for, for Rangers, and this has been the time ever since Gerard came in on the bill, is like protect the center of the pitch. So image seven is, is kind of showing how that is in practice. Is the striker Sakala at this point, he's pressuring Carl Starfelt quite high up and he's prioritizing the middle of the pitch. 
He's also responsible for Ralston, who's behind them, and, and Starfield finds them. But with a thunder covering Burnaway on the other side, you have Celtic's two central midfielders, because Todd Cantwell is on camera regular. Celtic's mm-hmm. two midfield midfielders are covered by three central midfielders for, for Rangers. And you can see how tight and how those three central midfielders, how tight they are to each other. This is exactly what Beale uh, did when Gerard was there as well, especially in Europe, having those three central midfielders staying really tight, staying in the middle of the pitch. Image Heaven is still, but it's what they're essentially trying to do is create some sort of pyramid in the middle of the pitch when nothing is going to come in. And you let somebody like Ralston in Image 7, let him have the space out wide because the priority is to protect the space in the middle and have more people than Celtic in the middle of the pitch. And that's, that's in one way, what they've been trying to do in all the other games so far as well. And I don't think, I don't, I don't think it worked any much better than it has been before. Like a couple of the times, like the League Cup semi-final, he just got it completely wrong. But the last few derbies is pretty much what happened as well. Yeah. And it's, and it's to be honest, it was fairly successful in the other derbies, but Celtic is just a bit better. And this time it's kind of just as successful, really, um, because Celtic still creates, and we'll get to that. But it's more about an individual moments, individual maybe defensive mistakes by Celtic that that lets the Rangers in. But there's nothing, there isn't, to be honest, Claire, he hasn't found his Enigma machine. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, I was just looking at the. He's um... got a machine, it's pretty good, but it's not the Enigma machine. I was looking at the, because the, you've written out all the different formations that they've played in the uh, derbies that we've played against them this season. And it kind of reminded me of like someone kind of remembering their pin number, but not really. And kind of keeping going, maybe it's this. No, it's not that. Hang on. And it's like, how many times can he press it before it does the thing? Or it's like, you're not allowed to have another go. Your card's going to get blocked. Do you think that Beal's been locked out of his iPhone for 1,864 years? I don't know. He probably has. I don't know. Um, uh, Annabelle, just before before we sort of move on, um, that what what Christian was saying there about what he's trying to do and all those different formations that he is playing, essentially um, kind of focusing on the one priority, which is protecting that central space and not necessarily pr- uh, prioritizing possession, letting us play out wide and do that stuff. What are your thoughts on that and seeing those images there that Christian's just talked us through? Yeah, I think it um, kind of goes back to my earlier thoughts slash ramblings about ultimately, you know, to be us, you need to kind of be better or take advantage of mistakes. And it feels like their kind of intentness to let us play down the wings would normally be a lot more um, detrimental for them if we had, you know, our best wide players, which we simply didn't, you know. We don't have our best right back. He's literally injured. We gave our second string left back a chance, but he's, you know, naive. He's young. He's not as good as Greg Taylor because no one is. Um, wingers, you know. I, we forgot, I forgot I was recording with the Greg Taylor fan club. <laughs> me- mega fan CSE. club. <laughs> Greg Taylor, CSE. Greg Taylor, future captain, CSE. Um, yeah. He's greatest son. Greg Taylor. So. <laughs> Someone has to be. Yeah, fair. Um, so we didn't have Taylor we didn't have Johnston we had a battle playing who you know can produce on on his good days but can be absolutely absent on his bad days which I felt that he 
let's say I don't think he had a great day. Um, which only really left us with Jota, I would say, is our only solid wide option. So I think ultimately us being weakened in the wide areas kind of was one of the reasons why we didn't get as much joy as we normally do when they try this tactic. That combined with the midfield just not being at their best, like Hatati, I still feels bedding back in. Like he does, you can see him trying things. They're not coming off as often as they normally do. Um, McGregor hungover. Not sure who's to say. Um, just, I don't know, the midfield just weren't, they just weren't quite at it the same way that they normally are. And I think that just at the end of the day comes down to, yeah, they tried this tactic. They've tried it before. It, it kind of worked better today because we weren't as good and we made a few mistakes. Yeah. Um, just on that point, um, uh, before, well, we're still on the tactics bit of the narrative that we talked about at the beginning that somehow, you know, they've unlocked some magic potion and a way to beat Celtic um obviously Annabelle was talking there a lot about personnel Christian do you want to just touch on that in terms of quality of personnel in positions and how that affected our tactics and then potentially the way that they were playing and setting up yeah and I I, I think Annabelle's obviously right about Greg Taylor being a mess um whenever Greg Taylor's been out the last two seasons it's, it's been it's been a big mess um so, so that, that that comes into it. Um, I think you know, building up from the back as well. We'll get into Bernabe could be a bit more as well. But uh, to be honest, it, it was more, you know, Celtics. You know, dealing with that system from from Beal. I think I think a good comparison is is the three two win at home, whereas it's essentially two big. Defensive mistakes by Rangers that gives you know uh, Celtic mm. two goals, but in terms of actually getting through that kind of Beal's block and all that, I thought <laughs> in one way it was Celtic was a, a slightly more effective in getting through it than they were at Celtic Park. You know, it's you know looking back at but because Celtic win, there's a three two. You know, it's, you, you kind of you kind of forget about some of the issues that there were. And I think there was instances in this game where, you know, guys like Hatati and O'Reilly, well, it's, it's it's not their best games, McGregor or Jota as well, where they do link up well and they do get into good positions. And it is kind of just, you know, you've got O's chance, you've got a badass chance, you've got, you know, Matt O'Reilly was in the box a couple of times. There's image eight is just a, an illustration of, how Celtic cut through ranges at times, you know, yeah. ball out to Abada, O'Reilly makes a really good run. He got a good position and Hatati's coming on a great run and the ball's kind of just slightly behind Hatati. Maybe Hatati just times his run slightly um, wrong. And it, it happened throughout, you know, some of the second half until the, the third goal as well, whereas this one is, is Jota that come in, where it's, it's Hatati who gets beyond image nine. This is a beyond Rangers' midfield tree, which is supposed to be, you know, protective spaces and impenetrable fortress backed up by an Enigma machine. And and Hatati turns and, and he's, he's really, really close to playing Kyogo on side. And, and also stuff like Matt O'Reilly's, you know, stealing the back ball off Ryan Jack and almost scoring really early in the second half. So, to me, it's just, you can call it, you know, kind of the lack of gold in the final third, you know, in the finishing. I, since I'm a bit pretentious, just call it kind of random variance sometimes, so you don't score those. Mm. And, and that's just one of those games. But I think overall, 
well, there was those kind of key moments, both attacking wise and defensively, that in the end let Celtic down, and that's why they didn't win the game. In terms of overcoming a system and dealing with the system and, and the play in general, Claire, I thought I don't think it's actually that much of a difference <laughs> than the three two win at home. It's just the results are different. So then everything else with that becomes different as well. Yeah. I mean, Annabelle, when you're watching a game like that, it can almost I don't know what's more frustrating when you're watching a game where you're like, We're not playing that badly. How is this how is this going this way? <laughs> It becomes that's almost more frustrating. It. Sorry, Annabelle, but um, just no. That's, that's it, though. It is. It's incredibly frustrating, and sometimes you feel a bit. Um, you can feel a bit in the minority when all the and again, like like we've discussed, the fan base can get quite reactionary. And again, I think games like this, so much of that is just pure emotion, which is understandable. And you can feel a bit. You kind of have that. <laughs> Principal Skinner moment of am I wrong? Like um like am I wrong in thinking that we weren't that bad? It's like yeah. no, the children are wrong. Like it's just it's <laughs> it's so easy to to kind of go with the go with the flow and be like just be angry and be like, yeah, we were terrible, we were yeah. shit. That's that's it. But I think it's 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 infinitely more kind of frustrating to acknowledge, but we're not doing that bad. But then why aren't we scoring? And I just wanted to kind of ask the question, Christian, when you know, talking about random variants. Is it like looking at the XGs and stuff? I don't, you know, I still want to understand more about this, but looking at the XGs, is it fair to say like Rangers overall XG was what, 1.6-ish? Yeah. Ex- ex- I mean, so so they, they, they could you they, say they that they overperformed? Yeah. Like if, if, if they scored uh, three goals, that means they overperformed, right? And if we had an XG around one, then that means we yeah. underperformed. So is that kind of random variance to a degree? Is that that bit of luck coming into play where it's like, we should have got this, but we didn't because of miscellaneous factors? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Weisskart has it at 1.2, but Statsbom has ranges at 1.58, which I think is closer because Statsbom have... Uh, Sakala's third goal as something like 0.80 xG because it's essentially an open goal in the mm-hmm. end. But at, at, at the point that ball goes in, I think it's something like 1.08 xG to Celtic and quick math 0.70 to Rangers. So Rangers score from two really low probability chances in, in general. Sometimes you, you score from low probability chances. Mm-hmm. But, to me, that's them all over though. They're very lucky. Yeah. In, I'm not biased this, at all. No, no, no. But, but in, in this game, <laughs> you will have games where that just happens. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and that's where the I guess the random variance comes in. Now that it's it's not as simple as that. There's, there's other factors in there. But yeah, no, I mean it's it's you know, but for example, if if you use White Scout um numbers to stick to one provider in the last four derbies, um if you, even if you include the penalty at Ibrox, Rangers had five goals, but an XG of 7.6. So they have been underperforming by 2.6 goals over those four games. And in this one, according to Scout, they overperformed by 1.8. Now, um, quick math, 1.6 and 1.8 isn't too far. So essentially, their, their underperformance in the last four derbies combined kind of came back and helped them in this one game. Now obviously it's it's not as simple as that and there's there's things that come in. But in another way, I'm just gonna contradict myself in the same sentence. Sometimes it is as simple as that. Like sometimes you can go four games not kinda get the chances to you know the goals that your chances says and then suddenly they all come in one. 
you know, it's like buses in a way, you know, uh, and because to get an early goal that, that kind of paints, you know, that kind of picture and so on. But in the end, that's, that's, that's what we talk about random variance. Um, it's really, yeah, it's really interesting talking about those and, and obviously we'll share all the pictures and screenshots and some of the numbers as well so that people can have a wee look through them as well. But um, let's move on to the other narrative that we brought in at the top of this discussion, which is about, obviously there's them figuring us out, but also what, to, and I think it's it's something as well to do with the time of the season as well. We're coming to the end of the season. So we're coming, we know that there's change in the offing like there always will be um as we approach the summer transfer window but like people are saying you know is the squad too thin the first things you've put on the rundown for this you've just written Kobe Ashi and Bernabe so do you want to just start there Christian <laughs> yes so so I listened to the start of the agenda earlier and uh, I don't know if you know Graham Clare but he's a bit of a shit stirrer right <laughs> no. he's always trying to get me cancelled he was trying to put, put me up against my, my good tactical and furniture restorer friend colin kearney on, on the agenda as I well i don't saying, believe it and <laughs> no, it's terrible um because my um <laughs> argument and it's yeah no it's a, a standby as well is that kobayashi and bernabai in this game if you compare them to and there's been a lot of talk. That's the narrative in terms of, okay, maybe our score is as good as we think it is. I think if you compare it to the right-hand side with Starfield and Ralston, I, I know which side I preferred. Right? I don't think any of them overall has, has a great game. But I also I also think the, the reaction to Kobayashi, but also maybe specifically Burnaby in this game is... I think it was again a bit raw, and I don't think watching it back. And we've been very critical of Burnaby on, on this spot before, but watching it back, I I thought Burnaby was uh, one of the better ones. That's nothing to be honest with you. But we'll get back to why as well. But yeah, I love the I way think, that even you, Christian, are saying that in a voice that suggests that you know you're going to get into trouble when you don't yeah, normally no do that. Just, just <laughs> you know, like Randy Newman, I'm just singing what I'm seeing. You know, it's, it's just. So, but and so, but yeah. So, well, let's start with Kobayashi because I think we had a a, a question on Starfield as well, Claire. Which I think yeah, is like a nice I was way wondering to talk if you want, I was Starfield wondering well. if you wanted to bring that in at this point, but we yeah. might as well talk about the backline as as a whole. Um, can I just say that one of the images you've put in this rundown for us very helpfully um, has all the players' names? Yes. With and it, it, they've got Carl Anders Theodore Starfelt listed with his full middle. Two middle names. I enjoyed I that. wanted to ask about this. I need an explanation. And we'll get, wait till you hear about Greg John Taylor. <laughs> I just like it because so, all the other players, have, so it's just like Yuki Kobayashi, Jota. Yeah, but and then Jota, Jota has several names. Jota has Jota's about 80 name. names. And in, in, in Instat is, is, is Joa Philippe. But Joa Philippe. Jota, I think Jota's Philippe Denieva. Like it's, it's, it's a very impressive name. Um, I think Jacinta Galabadarachi and all her middle names does take the prize, though, for most impressive Celtic name of a player currently. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, so I'll read the question that we had um, that you mentioned, Christian, from Jack. Thought Starfelt was an absolute standout on Saturday, both defending and progressing the ball. Only player in the back four actually capable of playing passes to wingers. Won every one of his duels, including multiple 1v1s where 
um, was in an extremely disadvantageous position against speedy forwards. Also hung out to dry by Kalmak and McGregor for that third goal. Yet he's been absolutely panned across the fandom, including on the reaction. <laughs> Is there a player in Celtics history who's been a bigger victim of largely fictitious... No- I mean, that's a big question. That is a very big question. So we might it's not a be very able- simple answer to it, though. It's no, that was Christopher Ayer. Um, <laughs> yes, but I, I, I do, I, I do like, I, I really like that part of the Christian. Uh, I'm also, actually. I'd also like to apologise to Jack for clearly the reaction panel being reactionary. <laughs> it's because Grandma Kaiser. I think there was, yeah, I was going to say there was one member of the reaction panel who I think was particularly um, reactionary <laughs> towards Starfell. I wasn't going to name names, but too late. Um, let's talk, let's let's just talk then about in this game, um, those players in that, in that defensive lineup, Christian. Yeah. The, the, the reason why I like that Christian as well is, is I think it does touch upon something, these kind of narratives and the, and the fictitious one and how players kind of get stuck in one. And I think there's this part of Jack's, you know, uh, question that I, I agree on and some I, I disagree on but I, I think Starfield has uh, over time had quite a bad reputation and I think he is really exceptional at a couple of things Starfield and I think what Jack mentions there in terms of that um, being able to run up or being in a position to sweep up against speedy forwards because Starfield does that a couple of times on, on, on Saturday as well and does it well mm. I think it was a standout on Saturday for, for some bad reasons as well. I, I thought, again, you know, to be honest, I don't really care much about playing passes to wingers. That's not where I want them. And I think Starfield is more adventurous than, than CCB on the ball, absolutely. But I also think he, he really struggled on the ball on on Saturday. And I think, you know, jumping a bit, but I think image 13 is very early on when Todd Cantwell uh, Picks out the ball when he tries to hit McGregor. Mm-hmm. He has one in the second half when he has just really bad technique when he, he kicks his right out of play when he tries to find Tony Ralston. And I think for the third goal, even though Kalma uh, and, and McGregor as, as Jack, <laughs> uh, Jack was so eager just to to get that. Oh, I just mentioned both his names. Um, <laughs> I know that's why I paused. I was like. And, and then I thought Alan McGregor. Is he trying to say that? And then I was like, he didn't play. Hang on, I'm confused. <laughs> but hey, whatever. It, it's it's not just Carl Selfless wrong, but it's also a, a case of him not having, you know, the awareness to, to you know where the ball is, or he kind of he is the one who pushes it to Sakala. He's the one who then launches at Sakala. So I, I think I come on here and say some bold things. I think, you know, to say Starford was a standout defensively uh, is, is a bold one, which I like from Jack as well. But I think for me, the, the narrative is, I think we we know these things about Starford. We know what he's good at. We know what he's, he's not as good at. And I thought that was a good example on Saturday as well. Kind of bringing this to, to, back to Kobayashi. So I think Kobayashi is, is somebody who's, this is why I like Jack's narrative, Christian, as well. I think we can very easily be getting into a trap with Kobayashi. And the narrative is that, okay, maybe he can pass, but he can't defend. That's not really what I see with him, right? It's not. And I think 
it's easy that to become a self-fulfilling prophecy because I think someone I talked about this with you know uh, last week with Graham against Harch when he played. Yeah, he misses some passes, but uh, as Colin correctly said on the agenda, he tries to do the right things and he's got the skills and the tools to do them. So I think he's got somebody who's got that ceiling. I thought against Hearts, I think he was solid defensively. And there's there's no coming away from the fact that he's, you know, the second goal, you know, he's, he loses Suter. Suter is too strong for him. He can't defend the ball. But in terms of, I think people can't forget that. Again, as strikers miss chances, centre-backs sometimes miss their marking. And that's why I kind of wanted to illustrate in image 15 as well. I know I'm jumping yeah. all over the place, but image 15 is one part of it is Conor Colson clearly beaten Carl Stylefeld in the air on a corner in the second half mm-hmm. with a header that goes, you know, just wide. Whereas the other one is Kobayashi losing to John Suter and the ball goes in the net. So in, in the same game, you have, for me, two quite similar situations. And the only slight difference where both centre-backs loses their opposite centre-back who gets to a header. And the only really difference is, uh, is that head, the header doesn't go in. You know, it, mm, so yeah, 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 it's interesting. And, and that's not really to hang out Carl Starfeld or to defend Kobayashi for that one because they're, they're both bad, but they're outcome-based. So, so for me, again, Kobayashi's, I don't want to get in a trap where saying, oh, maybe he can pass, but he can't defend because I think he can defend. And I, I think he, he's, is he as experienced as, as Carl Stoffelt? No. Is Carl Stoffelt, you know, flawless defensively? He absolutely is not. And he's had some big clangers in some big games. So I think that comes with it. Um, and I've, I've, what I've also done here in image 12 is, is picked out one really good moment for Kobayashi on the ball. Mm-hmm. It, again, he has some missed passes, but image 12 to me is just why I love having somebody like, like Kobayashi. It doesn't have to be him, but someone like him in in, in this team because it's, it's in the second half. He's right and it's deep into his own penalty box. He's getting the ball from Joe Hart. He's getting a striker that's running right at him. Mm-hmm. He got Alexandro Bernabe get it going out wide, but John Lundstrom is, is running after him as well. Every single Celtic centre-back would send it out to Alexandro Bernabe to keep it safe. Either they'll try and go long or they'll yeah, send yeah. it out wide to him to go long. Bernabe will have John Lundstrom right up him. You're not really going to get out. What he does, he just looks up and he sends the ball straight up through the middle of the pitch. Because so he's looked up, he's had the vision, and sees Ria Hatate in acres of space. So even a 2-0 down, you made a mistake in the game already. Um, you got, you're deep into your own penalty box. You got a striker running at you. You got your left back slightly open wide, but you got somebody running straight at him as well. Your goalkeeper is also marked. Mm. Just looks yeah. up as cool as you like. He creates a really good chance by Celtic by just looking up. And that's what, what I mean by ball playing said by somebody who's press resistant and you can look up and see that and have the calmness. I think Kobayashi, it. I think he's been better against Hodge and, and, and Rangers than, than kind of the, the narrative. I think he can defend a lot better. I think he's still got time to learn. But when it comes back to like, is the squad too thin? Is, is you know, do we definitely need a new set? But I'd love a new center back. I can do stuff <laughs> like Kobayashi. But I think, again, Kobayashi shows me evidence of why 
you need somebody like him in the team and why we really have to be careful with that narrative that he can pass but he can't defend because I think I think he can do both yeah um Annabelle have you got any either comments or questions based on what Christian has kind of pulled there out about Kobayashi I think it's really interesting because the other things we have to, we haven't I feel personally I haven't seen enough to make a decision um and there is the caveat that he is a young player in a new league and all those things that we always talk about but um <clears throat> you know if he's with us playing more regularly next season, we we don't know what we might get out of him. Sorry, Annabelle, what what do you think? No, very much the same as as what you were saying, and that I just don't think there's enough to go on. Um, I'm quite. I do probably give players more time than maybe I should before making a final judgment on whether or not I think they're good enough. But for Kobayashi, for me, that's a no brainer. There's there's not enough. He's not had a lot of game time this season. He's only just coming into the squad now and getting a chance at regular game time because our best defender is out injured. And I think there's an, also an argument for, you know, if if it had been Starfield that was out um, instead of CCV and he'd been alongside CCV and the overall defence had maybe been a bit better, um, would he have gotten singled out as much as he has? Maybe not. Probably, yeah, for the individual errors. Mm. Um, I just, yeah, I don't think it's enough information to go on. I think he needs more time. And I very much am a fan of, of exactly what Christian was saying about where's the potential? What is he good at? I don't think it's enough to say he's a bad defender. Like, look at the context of this game. Look, there's not a single, well not a single Celtic fan that's meant to be in that stadium. Um, it's a very hostile atmosphere. He's relatively young, relatively inexperienced, alongside not our strongest defender, someone competent. And he also had, you know, fullbacks who are not our starting fullbacks. For me, just factoring in context, nature of the game, and the fact that he's not played enough, I, I, I'm not interested in writing him off yet at all. Yeah, I do find it, I think as someone who's not as experienced at watching football as well um, and who has sort of watched a lot of football intensely over the last few years, but I'm definitely still learning. And it's, it's, I really, I sometimes need Christian those, you know, when we do the review and listen to what you've got to say about these screenshots and stuff, it's really helpful for me to look at those moments that you might not notice like necessarily unless you're going in to do a bit of a deep dive because maybe they just pass without comment um but yeah it's it's really good to see that and um the other person that we have talked about then um who we've also talked about as sort of fresh and inexperienced is Bernabe do you want to give us your hot take on yes that young uh, man the, the hottest of, of of takes so I think with Bernabe, as I said, we talked a lot about him on this pod before. And I think whereas I think Kobayashi is stylistically a fit, and I think he's got the ceiling to do that. I I, I think there is some big questions of whether Bernabe is, is stylistically a right fit. Um, if you think I'm long-winded, Steam Russell did a 4,000-word piece on it. Um, but so, so I think those questions are still there. And I think he's got a lot to learn. I think in this game as well, he has a couple of balls he loses, passes that are still a bit too loose. It's one of the major um, kind of criticisms of him, rightly. But having said all that, I think the second viewing is a, is a lot kinder to Bernabe than a lot of people, <laughs> including myself, felt on... Saturday as well. I think that's where it kind of comes in, in, in a little bit about 
the narrative is that he is his way is and he kind of gets he can't do anything really he, he won't get the same benefit of, of, of the doubt mm. and, and partly for, for me as well to like when there is one specific narrative somebody like me is you know a bit, you know pretentious like to go ah this is why you're wrong so, so you, you have to try and back it up but that's it's just kind of the fact when i watched this again i was like Burnaby doesn't have a, a terrible game here. So there's a few things to it. It's image 16. He's, he's got a really nice close relationship with, with, with Jota. And, mm-hmm. you know, literally, I don't know if it's close otherwise, but, um, it, but just in terms of, if you look at their pass map together, there's so many like short passes, give and go. And yeah. that's very typical of kind of Burnaby's style, the bit more like kind of Argentinian style of, of playing fullback with, his relationship with the players, you know, the given goals, the short ones, him and Jota, I think, combine quite well. Yeah, you've you've uh, done a side to side with Ralston and Abada. Well, well, well Ralston Abada is not to you know it, that's more to show Ralston Abada has a different kind of relationship because <laughs> they go, um, you know, Ralston hits Abada with some longer passes. You know, they're often a lot wide. It's or Abada comes back to him, whereas you know. As you might expect from from the Latin side, it's more intense. You know, it's, it's closer uh, on the left hand side. But also with with Jota, but also it was a Hatate. So image seventeen and eighteen is kind of like I think Bernabe's real strengths. Annabelle loves Greg Taylor not as much as I love Greg Taylor. But the, the thing about Greg Taylor is that he's not a traditional fullback in terms of getting past players or being quick and dribbling past him. Whereas Bernabe has that almost a lovely natural rhythm in terms of, especially those like one-twos, the gives and goes. Image 17 is him finding Hatate, but, but, you know, but past the Rangers midfield yeah. tree again. And he then runs into space and it's actually, it's a poor ball from Hatate back to him. But then straight away, Burnby goes, he counter-presses and then wins the ball back really well as well. And image 18 is, is kind of another example of, this is on the edge of Rangers penalty box. Burnby is, is is sizing up. Um, I think it's it's Goldson at that point. Um, and he Hatate comes again again a one two with um, Hatate. He goes to the byline, gets a cross in that's deflected to, to O'Reilly as well. So, but he, even he, Annabelle is even doing the Taylor run at, at, at times. Bernabe image nineteen <laughs> is him coming in behind the Rangers midfield tree when Celtic is playing out. That run inwards as Taylor does so many times. Let's attack to send the ball out wide to Jota to the winger, and then Bernabe gets he does that run between the opposition fullback and centre back, just as Greg Taylor does. He tries to get across in, which he sees, and he gets blocked. But again, there is all these things about Bernabe's. Whereas, yeah, you can talk about sometimes his positioning and sometimes his slightness of passes. I think, but again, with the narrative, I think he it is then in quite easy to do that. You kind of just gloss over some of his good stuff. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of what he's really good at kind of came out in a difficult game against a difficult opponent. So well, I'm not going to say, I've got a lot more faith in, in that Kobayashi will, will fit and he fits stylistically. Mm. I'm still not quite sure where Bernabe fits in, but I just thought looking back at it, I just thought he had a better game than what is kind of like uh that kind of got reaction to him now whenever he, mm. he misplaces a pass. Um, there's some prime content in there for you, Annabelle, as a Greg Taylor stan, watching what the comparisons that Christian's making there. 
Yeah, I love it. And I mean, of course, our four million pound Argentinian left back is going to emulate his hero, <laughs> ex Kilmarnock player Greg Taylor. Naturally, um, yeah, I, I feel so bad for Burnaby because he's so loved when he plays against an easy team and does you know pretty well. And then the second he has you know is not his best performance in a tough game against Rangers, he's absolutely terrible, and we need a new left back immediately. And again, it's just that kind of flip flopping and the narrative about these players where yeah like Christian said it is easy to forget their strengths when you know they're in they're in this these sorts of positions so mm. for Burnaby also yeah. I think he looks like Sonic the Hedgehog and I just wanted to get that out <laughs> have you how long have you had that in your locker Annabelle wanting to express months it? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and I guess Christian as well it will depend on whether he has more time to the, the, he's given more game time to see whether he does fit into the system and because it, it, it is always a big challenge when a player like that especially a young player is coming in and out and having to kind of yeah find their... and, and, and still i do have my doubts but it, there is something there with him and, and i think there is again you know this, this the whole topic of the podcast is those kind of narratives i don't think it's inconceivable that he can with a year now be molded and be effective I think it takes a little bit of adaptation for the rest of the team because he does things yeah. usually quite different than Greg Taylor but he, he's got strengths as well that he doesn't have um, I'm not going to spend too much on this but image 20 and 21 people can look at it it's from Stephen Russell's uh, expected threat model and what is it? XT there's another one for you Annabelle and, and XT is essentially the increase or decrease of a team scoring based on completed passes. And within that kind of table, you also have called something non-negative XTs. That's where just any negative passes, which decrease the probability of, of scoring, is taken away. Um, and it's just a nice kind of illustration from the game itself, uh, just a derby, but also overall the season. And again, and Stephen Russell was the first one to say this, there's a lot of context here missing. One is that it doesn't include missed passes. don't know if you watch Alexander Burnaby play. Sometimes he misses some passes. But it's just a way of kind of trying to tease up, tease out something tangible from, from what we maybe we think we see from Burnaby. And that is that he is effective at creating um, moments of, of moving the ball up the pitch in, in, in dangerous areas, both through his passing and through his, his his dribbling. So per 90 in the league this season, if you look at, you know, XT, well, they have played short, you know, uh, time, you know, sample is so small. Alexander Bernabe has the highest XT from Celtic. Kobayashi has played very little, but he has the second highest. Craig Taylor, Annabelle, is, is third. Um, so it's it's for completed passes, these three players, when they do complete their passes, essentially increases the probability of scoring for Celtic more than any other players. Um, if you include their, their, like their negative passes as well, because you've got players like, if you look at just positive, you know, you've got players like Haxabanovic, Jota, Matt O'Reilly are really, really high. But they also have a lot of, of negative passes. But that's a little bit to do with the way they play on the pitch and, and so on. So again, there's a lots of caveats to that. But I think it's just something you can start to tease up, something a little bit tangible that within the context that Bernabe and Kobayashi 
and Greg Taylor, they are bringing something. Like in these numbers, there are something there. But Bernabe is is what needs to happen is is obviously needs to cut out some of the, the weaknesses in his in his play. But again, I think is well, it's not quite similar to Kobayashi. There's something similar as well. There is a ceiling there that can be harnessed. Whether it will be a Celtic, I don't know. I don't know if the, the transition is just too big, but it was just from as a Completely comes from just watching the game again and saying, and going, ah, no, Burnaby doesn't actually have his worst game. <laughs> uh, and he's, I think he's actually one of the Celtics better players overall. We are going I said to... that in that voice again. I know you did use uh... that voice again. We're going to move on and talk about wingers and more specifically our good friend, Leal Abada. Um, we have another question that kind of ties in with this subject as well as we move on from Tony. Uh, I've heard lots of talk about Celtic's priority signing needs, keeper, left centre-back, left-back, creative number eight and backup striker. For me, the priority is none of these. The priority is a fast, technically good right winger, brackets playing Jota on the left. What is the panel's view? Do you know what? Well, I just want to get, before Christian jumps in, I want to get Annabelle's view on that. <laughs> oh, wow. Um yeah, I I don't know if Abada is moving on this summer or not, but I would be quite pro probably moving him on and maybe looking at some other young, interesting mm-hmm. prospects. Um, just because I think with Abada, I feel like we have kind of, well, I think going back to ceilings, the ceiling metaphor, which I love is I think maybe he's reached a ceiling at Celtic anyway. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that he's reached a ceiling. I think he's a player that's capable of a lot. Um, but he's becoming quite a frustrating figure in our squad at the moment. And I and I just don't know with the quality that we have on the wings that he's going to get much further and get the amount of game time that he wants. If anything, I think he feels to me like he's a bit in decline and maybe the numbers say something totally different. I'm just going <laughs> purely off vibes here, but... Yeah, I'd I'd probably be pro looking at, but not like um. I think my favorite wing combination at the moment is Jota and Maeda, so I'd, I'd be more interested in looking at um a younger player, another another up and comer. But um, that's just my my view. Christian, talk to us about it. No, I I agree with Tony and Annabelle. Um, <gasps> um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it would. I think it just seems like a good time for everybody, both parts, in terms of a battle leaving, because I do think he's, again, he's not a great fit. You know, he's, he's got the qualities, but someone like Gigi as well had to, some qualities, but they're not a great fit. And I think it's weird because he's had some huge moments against Rangers, some of his biggest moments. But I think he's also in some of these games, like his, his real weaknesses come true in terms that Unless it's in the penalty box, I think he struggled to impact anything. I think image 21, 22, sorry, it's just a bad summed up for me. When he gets the ball out wide, he could play Tony Ralston, who comes on a nice run behind uh, the Rangers left back. Instead, he kind of goes inwards and he passes the ball like past Hatate and sets up a great counter for Rangers. And it's just like, Graham said on the reaction, uh, you know, if, if he doesn't score, what does he do? And I think that's, you know, harsh but fair mm-hmm. in a sense that he's, <laughs> you can't downplay the, the actual knack he has for getting in, in, in the box and scoring. And, and, you know, we've had some 
fantastic moments from it. But I think it's just time for everybody. I think it's, it's, it's a good change for everybody because Abada hopefully gets a move to a team that suits him a bit better. He's, you know, he's, he's had a bigger profile now. As Tony says, Celtic can go out and buy another winger. Uh, I'd love, like, yeah, somebody can play on the right, but I'd love for that person to be also be able to play through the middle if he needs to. So somebody who can play across that, I think, would be really good. So, yeah, I, I agree with Tom. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, right. We haven't actually specifically talked about the goals and who's at fault, but we're going to talk about goalkeepers now, aren't we? Christian, we've got a whole little section on Joe Hart to finish with. Obviously, they talked through the goals on the reaction and everything, and we're already, you know, a couple of podcasts past this game, and people will have thought about it and discussed it a lot. And the goalkeeping position is one that comes up again and again and again um, when we've. So bring it up. So you've brought it up. <laughs> um, when we've talked about, you know, the, the squad for next season, talk us through the images that you are presenting here and Joe Hart's mistakes for these goals because you've literally put all of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am aware that I'm playing um, all of Christian's hits here in terms of, of stuff I've you know, pointed out before. I don't, think, I don't uh, think you're the only one calling for a new goalkeeper though, are you? <laughs> no, but yeah, no. And it, it, it comes back to a couple of things. First of all, you know, the, there's not just Joe Hart mistakes on these goals, you know. You, I think, of course, yeah. The first one, to be honest, I, I don't put too much fault on, on Kobayashi uh, for it, but obviously there's an element of that, it's an element of not kind of blocking the shot, so on. Second goal is obviously Kobayashi loses a duel, and um, third one, obviously you got Cal uh, McGregor and Starfield all, all involved in it. But for me. We talk about, you know, the random variance, what happens in some games. Sometimes you don't score. You can play, you know, the same type of underlying performances and chances, but two completely different results. Part of that, as I said, is random variance of finishing. Part of it is also purely goalkeeping. And I think for these three goals, I I put my finger on, on Joe Hart for all three of them for, mm-hmm. for different reasons. Um Obviously, being a former goalkeeper myself, I don't know if I mentioned that, but um, I, I think it's but it's also three different parts of shot stopping that yeah. I think Joe Hart kind of falls down on here. So, image twenty four is the first goal. I think it is as, as simple, really. As it's a it's a poor first save, it's a poor rebound, and I think you just from that distance, even though if you're a bit unsighted, it's not the worst rebound. But you can't put it out there. Like yeah. most of you, you just you just need to. Your job as a professional goalkeeper is to get that ball away. If you're not going to try and hold it, just get it away. You can't push mm. it out to that area. Most of the time, you're fine. Defender gets it. You know the, the striker's not there, but you just leave yourself open. So it's just. Do you think it's, it's just, pure technique? It's, it's technique in the save. Yeah, I've watched <clears throat> that goal back a couple of times, obviously, and. Um... I mean, there's there's an awful lot of power on that strike from Lundstrom that hits his gloves the first time before he does sort of palm it basically at the feet of Todd Cantwell. But um, is it anything to to do with the power of that strike that he is the the speed and and is that something you blame him for the decision making there? Yeah, I, I, I think I mean, overall, I think the first one is 
weirdly his his least bad of the three because <laughs> it is comes hard and it, it goes but it's funny because it, it looks but the standard bad. is you it just have looks to do better bad, doesn't it annabelle you just have to do better yeah i think that combined with the fact that we've got several players around tiktok Cantwell, just kind of you just kind of immediately lose him i just think it's poor from everyone i know I know, Christian, you're desperate to just put it all on Joe Hart here because yes. we know that you have a personal <laughs> vendetta. It's English. No. Sorry. Sorry, Claire. <laughs> uh, don't worry. Oh my God. I'm used to it. it. happens all the time. I'm staying out of this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I do think the rebound is poor, but then that just combined with everyone just not paying attention and letting um, Tantwell run off on it and it basically becomes an assist from Joe Hart at that point. It's just, yeah, complete, just bad all round, but yeah, bad goalkeeping as well. But I think it's one of those where Claire, it goes fast. It's it's his technique isn't great. It's a poor rebound, but that again, slightly tiny bit of random variance. I, I think in there as well that sometimes okay. usually it goes fine, but this time it doesn't. Se- I think second yeah. goal. Second goal is obviously like Kobayashi's need to do better on the header. Yeah, that's fine. But looking back at it, another part of one of Johar's maybe biggest issues is his footwork. And the the way he positions himself before shots, especially if he, if he has to mm-hmm. move outside, you know, he can do good reaction saves within the frame of his his body. But I think image twenty five and image twenty six is for the second goal. And I think image twenty five, there's, there's three stills in there. And the first one is is when the ball comes in, and I think Joe Hart's in absolutely fine position. He's about two three yards out from his goal in the middle of it. Fine. Out swinging corner. So Joe Hart says, okay, I can't reach that. I have to step back a bit. Again, this is the second part of that picture. Still fine. And if Joe Hart in the second in the middle of that picture is is taking a step back, he's about a yard outside his box, mm-hmm. uh, outside his his, yeah. uh, his his the goal line. That's good. You know, he's he's slightly on his toes, good position, and the, the ball is now starting to drop towards don't suit her. For some reason, he takes another step at that point as well. Backwards so he's, towards the he goal. Backwards, he's, he's almost inside his own goal. So first of all, he should have just stopped at that point. He doesn't need another step. But if you see image 26, you, you see what it does. Mm. I guess the first one is, is coming in. Is one line uh, ahead of the touchline. That's fine. But because he takes that other step, look at when John Suter's head big head hits the ball you can see Joe Hart's right foot is not planted on the ground it's it's still taking a step backwards yeah so by the time he plants his right foot the to take a step back the ball's pretty much in in the net and it's it's just and that's what we talk about bad footwork is not setting yourself up quickly enough for a goal like Joe Hart just as he, in the second the second part as he just taking one step back sets himself he might have had the power in his and the balance in his feet to move slightly to the left even though he's coming fast and save that because he's completely off balance taking another step he, he renders himself helpless yeah. uh, essentially so it's, it's just it's bad footwork yeah and then there's there's one more we have to talk about um, you've put here the headline this is my favorite bit. Poor, de- 
poor decision yeah. making and then you've put some we've got some <laughs> lovely graphics that you've included for us here which reminds me of this whole discussion about joe hart and i think of this often actually christian the, it was with jo- john harrison wasn't it the, john harrison the, the, the pod- you know, after being on our pods just you know it's taken off the, he's 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 <laughs> everywhere now he's been on sky sports if, athletic if um, anyone is interested in finding out about <laughs> more about goalkeeping technique and stats and and the analysis and all that I did not think it was a subject that I was massively passionate about. And then I listened. It was so, that I loved that podcast. It's so interesting to go back to. It was it was a couple of years ago now, wasn't it? That you it, recorded? It was, it was when Joe Hart signed. So, so, so yeah. we had, had John on. And um, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe you can put it out at, at some point as well. Or maybe when Celtics signed a new goalkeeper. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> and we can put that for free. But so essentially, you know, Image 27 is not to go through a whole of John's kind of model, but but John did some really almost revolutionary work in terms of the decision maker that leaves goalkeepers with a bigger probability of saving a one versus one. And what is essentially, you know, that he, he kind of defined the action a goalkeeper does into different categories. So you have something um, specifically called engage and spread, which is essentially a goalkeeper rushing out, making himself as or her as big as possible, and you know, to, to stop a one against one. And what John essentially researched so that is that that specific technique of rushing out, making yourself as big as possible, is effective if you face a shot from about the penalty spot mm-hmm. in the middle of the goal inwards. Okay. If you try to do the engagement spread further out, essentially you decrease your probability of of, of saving a one against one by by so much. And I think essentially, well, there's only there's only so yeah. so big you can make. I mean, the further out you get, the more space there and angle there is inevitably around the yeah. keeper for the person who's running onto goal to it, exploit, isn't there? It's just, it makes, Joe Hart makes the wrong decision. And it's obviously a lot of stuff has been going on before he gets to Joe Hart. But essentially, he makes a callous choice for him because he he rushes out from about six, seven yards when Sakala approaches the penalty, but he just rushes mm. straight at him. And because there's so much space behind him when he does that, because Joe Hart's then coming at speed, it's very, very, it's, it does two things for Sakala. One, it makes his decision for him, right? Because if, if Joe Hart stands and waits further back, mm-hmm. you start putting that in Sakala's mind. Should I go further? Should I shoot from here? What's the angle? He comes rushing out. Well, because he's coming rushing out so far out, it's very simple for Sakala to take the ball past him because it's coming at speed. You know, it's just stepping aside. And also because Joe Hart does that so far from his own goal, mm. there's so much space behind him. So he can just pop the ball behind him. He can run after it and slot it in. So it's one of those which annoys me always the most because it's if Joe Hart just stands three, four yards from his own goal line and waits until Sakala gets almost almost to the penalty spot length and then start rushing out, or forces him to make it. So I think it just makes a callous decision for him. And again, it might seem a bit picking on Joe Hart. Um, I was going to say. But how that, <laughs> but that's, you know, 
That's what Joe Hart's. The whole thing about Joe Hart is he's supposed he's supposed to make up for his other deficiency in his shot stopping. I think just this season in some big games as well, it just hasn't. I think there's three examples of him here doing shot stopping mistakes in different ways, uh, and I think when he doesn't give you that side of the bargain anymore, which I don't think he has this season, I think it just underlines it. it kind of exacerbates exacerbates his issues in distribution wise so Annabelle you're nodding in agreement it just it was one you could tell the moment that he started rushing out you just knew your heart sank because you're like he's gone too early you can tell that look how far back Sakala is when he starts making that run and the thing that I love the most about John's thread on this is that he's literally given given like a goalkeeping cheat code to show like here's the best things to do in the best situations and it kind of does make you look at it and think why on earth did he think that was the right thing to do there was he maybe thinking that oh it's the Kala and we know that it doesn't really matter if I leave an open goal because he'll probably miss anyway insane thing to think but kind of true at the same time um it was just <laughs> yeah it was just the wrong decision and for that wrong decision to come after a series of utter embarrassing calamities and you know the middle of the pitch it was just so disheartening disheartening um <laughs> so yeah and, and, and I agree it's just you know that Joe Hart's not that great with set pieces and you do rely on his on his shot stopping from open play and it was just it just felt like such an obvious mistake it was it was oh. disappointing I'm quite happy as well that the neatness of us starting this show talking about cheat codes and basically finishing it talking about cheat codes as well. John Harrison's got the Enigma books. It's not. It's not Michael. That's Peele. it. That's, 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 that's He's cracked the code. Um, surprisingly, um, I haven't hated talking about this game with both of you, but that's probably because of the company I'm keeping. I'm sure. Just, just wait. You come on after a derby. That's all. Is one. We'll, we'll bring you um. down then. <laughs> it's just. I know, Christian. I've been there. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I know how you work. Um, it's been lovely to record with both of you. Thank you, everyone who submitted questions. And I'm sorry that we didn't maybe have the time to get to all of them um, on this show. But if any of the subjects come up during the week on other pods, I'm sure sure we might be able to address them there. But Annabelle McDonald, thank you very much for joining us again. Thank you both so much. That was very therapeutic. Good. And of course, Christian Wolf. thank you. It's, thank you for having me. Hopefully I'm, I'm invited back next week. Yeah, so, I, I'm sure you will be. It'll be, it'll be the <laughs> Nobody old, else going to do it. It'll be, it'll, <laughs> it'll be the old gang back together again. <laughs> but one week only, I so. <laughs> um, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. She's been Annabelle McDonald. He's been Christian Wolf. I've been your host, Claire Wilde. And this has been The Review.